Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. everyone and welcome to episode 418 of Longbox Heroes. I'm Todd with Joe. How are we doing today, Joe? I'm digging a copious amount of eye boogers out of my face. Mm, I hope they're in your eye and not somewhere else in your face. No. No? I don't know. I got something going on. My hair is very long and greasy these days and I think some of the grease from my hair got in my eye. Oh no. You know what you should do? You should probably light that on fire. It'll fix everything. Ugh. I have to get a haircut this week because I have a wedding to go to. Oh, you have a wedding to go to this weekend? Yeah. Oh, uh, you should have. You sh- there should be other places you're going. I'm sure you'll talk about that in the show where you're going this weekend, Todd. Yes, we will. And other stuff that's on this show. Like, uh, hey, if Marvel's going to publish one new comic, maybe they should publish three new comics with that same character. Well, it's the, it's also, the rule of threes, right? Well, threes, that's right. Com- Com-O-D, Joe. Com-O-D. And also in sad news, passing of a, of a comic book legend. Mm-hmm. Con news. Also news from a con, as I went to Baltimore Comic Con this week, past oh, weekend. I thought you were going to say how you grifted someone. Oh, no, I would never grift. I would beg and plead, but never grip. <laughs> also, free digital uh, books and sales. Uh, also, what we read last week, which was Heroes in Crisis number one and Doomsday Clock number seven. And that's right on time, I think. Also, oh, what boy. we're... Well, the check cleared, so I can't say anything. Um, what we're looking forward to this week... Um, Todd's Art Attack, and also Pigskin's Pickums we'll talk about. And we don't have any TV show talk, do we? That's uh, No, but I think we might get a dabbling into the mailbag just to wrap things up. Oh, we have a mailbag. Oh, okay. Yes, We're good to go. a sadly overdue mailbag that'll tie into the Amazon reads and all that sort of jazz. Oh, I love when we have overdue stuff. Right. Overdrawn at the memory bank, or overdue at the memory bank is what we would be. That's what we do. So, Oh. Uh-oh, okay. did you pull something? No, no. Um, this is more after dark talk, but I need to say it. So, uh, last week's show was a little choppy. The recording software that we use was due for an update, but it didn't give me the notification that I needed to do the update. I didn't get the notification of the update till I restarted my computer. I get the notification for the update, then I record one of the other podcasts, which we'll talk about during the plug segment, and the recording software defaulted uh, instead of to the fancy Yeti microphones that we have to the microphone that's in my webcam. So on Ooh. the wrestling show last week, I sounded like garbage. And I did listen to After Dark, but more so to make sure that Todd's end wasn't choppy. And then as we're already recording here, I'm like, oh, crap, I should look to see if it's recording correctly. And it is. Oh, good. I was worried. That's all. Just needed to get that out of my head. Don't you hate when you have something in your head and you just need to get it out? Mm. That's why I have a podcast. We have two podcasts. You have three podcasts. I have three podcasts, Todd. So anyway, uh, Marvel 2019, big announcement from a couple months ago. They're doing a Conan book, but not just a Conan book. It's a Conan book. 
written by Jason Aaron, uh, with art by Muhammad Asar, which I know I mispronounced horribly, but it is what it is. Covers by Asad Ribic, and that's great. That's fantastic. That's the, practically the announcement that we were all hoping for and praying for. Mm-hmm. The announcement what? that the that I think no one was hoping for or no one was praying for that in addition to the main Conan book in January, Marvel is also doing a savage sort of Conan book in February, no creative team announced, and Age of Conan in March, no creative team announced. Mm-hmm. Now, I think this might be an issue of putting the cart before the horse. I think it's going to be cool that Conan's back at Marvel and, hey, man, Jason Aaron and the creative team and everything else on this book is really good. Book hasn't even been solicited yet. You have no idea how this book is going to sell, let alone enough to add one spinoff book, now two spinoff books, before you've even solicited the first issue of the main book. Right. So we have – go ahead, sorry. No, no, go ahead. So we have three books. We have the Conan book, and what was the other one? King Conan? No, Savage Sword and Age of. Now, I'm wondering if these are just solicitations, because there was a Savage Sword of Conan years ago, and you know, or maybe the Conan Age. I'm wondering if one of them is going to be a reprint book. Well, again, With- according to the uh, dirt sheets, as it were, uh, it's it claims that it's two more ongoing books. Nothing right, but cle- nothing clearly saying that it's going to be reprints or anything like that. I hope I'm it just... is reprints. I really hope it's low priced, like ninety nine cent black and white reprints. That would be great because there was some of those uh, Savage Sword of Conan magazines were black and white magazines. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think you could get away with more in the black and white back then with like decapitations and stuff like that because there wasn't blood. The whole comic uh, code and everything, but. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm with you. I look at it as it, this isn't Star Wars, which could, you know, like the, the fan base for Star Wars is like, all right, we're going to put out a Star Wars book. We're going to put out this book. We're going to have mini series at the same time. And it's like Star Wars can handle that. But I don't know if Conan can. And like then it comes down to I'm getting the the, uh, the Jason Aaron book. I'm going to need to see who the creative teams are on the other two books and what they're doing with it. But I, like I said, I'm with you. I don't know if coming out with three out of the gate is the right uh, choice for, uh, for Conan. Uh, I don't know if the fan base can support all that. Correct. And that's kind of my feelings as this as well. You're shooting the other two books in the foot. If they are new ongoing different creative team books, Mm-hmm. If this is just for some reason an error that they accidentally like titled these books wrong, like they're just going to do them all as new number ones or something, because Jason Aaron did say he was going to tell stories kind of like from different time periods. Yes, because like the novels back in the day, they the stories came out all haphazard. Like I think I even said on here that the very first story is, is like later in Conan's life, a King Conan story, and then they just jumped. Like he's like, I'm going to write whenever I feel like it, right? Whatever era. So. Now, so what if what if Todd, mm-hmm. this is some sort of devious ploy by Marvel that one of the books is like current day Conan, one of the books is young Conan, one of the books is old Conan. All written by Jason Aaron, 
all kind of concurrently to each other just so that they can get three new number one Jason Aaron books out. But would he take, would he just do the number ones and then do Conan, the regular Conan book ongoing? Because if he's doing all three, if he drops Avengers and he drops, uh, what else is he writing? Uh, Thor. Thor. He drops Thor and Avengers to do three Conan books. I'm buying three Conan books. If, but it, if he, again, and we don't know yet. We, we're just right. no, speculating. I'm speculating, here. yeah. But I'm just trying to think of what plausible angle Marvel could be coming at to release mm-hmm. three brand new number one Conan books three months apart from each other. Money? Well, yes, money is good, but. <laughs> They have a plan with that involves getting money from us. I don't know. I'm with you. Right. What? How about here's a here's a crazy idea. Focus on one. Let's mm-hmm. build a fan base about around one, and then maybe six months, eight months, a year later, once you've got a stable number on how many people could actually support a Conan book, mm-hmm. maybe add a second one. I, you know what, Joe? I'm going to go on record and calling my shot now that the Savage Sword of Conan is going to reprint the old Savage Sword of Conan's, and the uh, the third Conan book is going to do like all that Barry Windsor Smith stuff from the Marvel days back in the day, and that's that's what I'm calling. So they will be reprint books, but they still will be overpriced. That's my that's my called shot. Okay. Just like. Some prediction that I made about Mr. Miracle a long time ago that I completely forgot about that you reminded me of? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll remind you of this. Let me write a note for myself. Are you saying that I reminded you of a mistake that you made a while back? No, not a mistake. I had made a prediction about what was going to happen at the end of Mr. Miracle. Oh, okay. Yes, and I, I forgot thought... that I made that prediction. And then you reminded me that I made that prediction and I had to act like I knew what you were talking about. Oh, that's great. That is great. See, I thought you were talking about when Mr. Miracle was going to be two six-issue trades, and I was like, no way. It's going to come straight to 12-issue hardcover, Uh and that's what they changed their their mind to. I don't know. Do you even remember us talking about that? I do. And are you going to pretend that you did remember? No, no, that one I do remember. Usually the mistakes I make, we gloss over and never bring up again. That is true. Mm Mm-hmm. So we'll 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 keep you posted here of what's going to go on with those Conan books uh, as we get closer to them being solicited. I would announce some creative teams on those at New York, but that's just me. Why, something going on in New York this week? We'll get there. We'll get there. Calm <laughs> okay. down. Uh, so the other bit of news, and this one actually came out almost right after we recorded last week, and this one really kind of bummed me out. Um, one of... Maybe the most unsung artists of the 80s and 90s, uh, Norm Brayfogle passed away uh, this past week. Um, apparently, he had not been doing well for the past couple years. Uh, he had suffered a stroke back in 2014, and he had uh, GoFundMes or uh, some sort of crowdfunding thing to help pay for his care, of course. Um, DC did what they could by kind of reprinting a bunch of stuff with his name plastered all over it, uh, to help him out. But he did a ton of Batman stuff in the late eighties, early nineties up to, and including stuff for, you know, the nightfall, uh, story arc, you know, right. Some of the more kind of 
exaggerated, over the top. Like, whenever you see Batman kind of with his arms out and his cape almost looking Dracula-esque, and he's mm-hmm. got huge pointy ears on his cowl, that typically was a Norm Brayfogle uh, art. Right. Uh, but yeah, like- he, he was, like I said, he was, I would say, top ten of, he was in, in the, definitely in the top ten of my all-time favorite artists. And favorite artists or yes. Batman artists? No, just artists. Period. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, he's one of those guys that there was just something so striking and so different uh, about his art. Um, I feel as though, and this is, uh, and take this for what you will. Um, you know, I think he could have been one of those guys that if Image had poached him, he could have been a bigger deal going forward in the world of comics because. You know, unfortunately, after, like, the mid-90s, he really wasn't doing a ton of stuff. Right. If he was working at Marvel at that time instead of DC, maybe he could have went over with them. Right. Like, the I, he, he ended up going and doing, like, stuff at Malibu or something. When Marvel bought Malibu, remember that? Yeah. Which people say is for the coloring, and it wasn't. But mm-hmm. anyway. Because he did, um, there was a book called Prime that he did the art on. Yes, he that yes he did. I remember that. Right, and that was one of those things where I bought that book because it was Norm Brayfogle art. Really? Yes. Because I was not picking up too many independent books at the time. I was I knew of Tom Brayfogle, and I really like respected his art, and I, I I loved his style and everything. But I wasn't getting a lot of what he was doing at the time. But I totally get like you know. Um, uh, how beautiful his stuff was, and I see what you mean of, like, to me, almost, he, I'd like to see neck and neck who created the living cape first, uh, Todd McFarlane or Norm Brayfogle, because, mm-hmm. like, the the cape that was alive in every shot. Right. So, uh, yeah, but, yeah, um, Norm Brayfogle was fantastic. And he was always good at kind of really highlighting the monster elements in the more monster, monstrous, and even less monstrous Batman villains. You know, obviously he's going to draw a Killer Croc or a Clayface to look like a monster because that's what they are. But Mm -hmm. he would even go as far as, like, really add that monster element to someone like um, Scarecrow or the Joker. And he even did sometimes where he drew the Scarface puppet for the ventriloquist and made it look downright terrifying. Mm-hmm. And that was what he did because if you you know a lot of people don't remember, um, I think it was right around the time of the Tim Burton movie and a little bit after that, it was around that time frame. It was like early eighties into the late eighties, early early nineties that there was detective comic stuff. Uh, when it was written by Alan Grant, a lot of that stuff was kind of almost more horror elements. Right. To the Batman stories where, like, the Batman book, Batman, was more of your capes and cops and robbers sort of stuff. Right. Your everyday criminals your uh, and stuff like that. Where, uh, like you said, Detective had that, that, like, creepiness feel to it. Right. And actually, as I'm here, um, he was uh, co-creator of the Ventriloquist and he was co-creator of uh, Mr. Z, Mr. Zaz, Mr. Z's or what's his name? Mr. Zaz. Yeah. Not the uh, defunct uh, grocery store chain in the Northeast. 
Uh, I, I, just, I wonder if he was getting checks because Zaz was on Gotham, the TV show. Right. And Zaz so, was in one of the Nolan Batman movies. Oh, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, like, hopefully he get because all joking aside, I know that would be great for him because, you know, from the medical bills that he had, stuff like that. But I remember, like, Jim Starlin saying that, like, yeah, KG Beast was in, you know, Superman v. Batman. I make more off of KG Beast than I do uh, Thanos over at Marvel. Mm-hmm. So, like, maybe, like, he got a good chunk for that. I'm trying to think of, like, if he created, did he have anything to do with the uh, the Tim Drake Robin um, I don't think he quote unquote created him, but I know that he was like the artist of the time when Tim Drake became Robin. Right. Was he doing those minis that Robin was, or is that somebody else? That was know? somebody else. Okay. But like I said, definitely go check out some Norm Brayfogle art. You know, just uh throw him into whatever your search engine you're using is and just check out how striking and how different his art is and was. Uh, at the time, there's there's particularly one, and I don't want to be I don't want to say that I was the first one to bring this up. Uh, but there was specifically an issue that he did of Batman, and I'm trying to see what issue number it is. It was like 450 something. It looks like, and again, I, I apologize. I'm just trying to see what it says. But he draws um, Robin coming in through a window that is the most terrifying that you'll see uh, Robin ever look. Okay. I'll have to look that up. Right. And again, I apologize. I'm just trying to find the issue number without really... uh, Google Robin climbing through a window. Batman 457. I'm looking that up while you're talking. Right. It's, It's Batman hung upside down, covered by spiders... And Robin is the one coming to the rescue through a window. And it's like Robin is completely all in shadows. And it's it's awesome. Batman 457? Yes. Okay. Oh, jeez, yeah. Right. With the Scarecrow. That's like, that's almost like him, him totally copping a Batman pose. Like, I am the knight kind of a thing. Yes. And you don't, you, you, you had never seen that up to and really since with Robin. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that really kind of captures really how good of an artist that Norm Brayfogel was and really uh, underrated, underappreciated, however you want to say it, didn't get his due. Uh, definitely one of those guys that I personally felt should have been bigger. He was a mover for me. He, you know, at a time where I wasn't getting a ton of books, if I saw he was doing the art on something, I would definitely get it. Yes. Uh, so that kind of covers the news. Uh, let's get into conventions this weekend. Uh, you know, there's a couple conventions going on. Uh, Louisiana in Lafayette, Louisiana is having a comic book convention. Uh, a couple folks that are going to be there. Rob Gilroy. Uh, what's the book he's doing right now at Image Farmland, I think it's called. And that, but he was most notable for Chew over at Image. Uh, just trying to look to see who else is going to be there. And again, I apologize. The links are not working as well as I would like them to. Oh, uh, former World Wrestling Entertainer and former member of the APA, Ron Simmons, is going to be there. Dang. Mm-hmm. Linda Blair is going to be there. Hmm. And, you know, a lot of assorted cosplay-type folks. Um, now, also this weekend is the Cleveland Comic Con. 
No. We're going to get to the big one of the weekend. But I okay. bring up the Cleveland Comic Con because appearing at Cleveland Comic Con, Todd, is Tim Shockey. And you're going to ask, who is Tim Shockey? Who is Tim Shockey? Let me read you this blurb that they have about Tim Shockey on the uh, website, okay? In 1987, Tim Shockey purchased the Maximum Overdrive Green Goblin Head in Wilmington, North Carolina. <laughs> he brought it back to Southern Ohio, where it sat on display in his video store. After he sold the video store, it was put in his backyard, where it sat for many years. His wife didn't like it. She tried to give it away, even ran it over with a riding lawnmower, quote-unquote, by accident, and knocked off its left, left ear. About eight years ago, Tim moved it into his garage, where it was finally out of the awful weather and away from riding lawnmowers. In 2011, Tim started restoring it. He worked night and weekends for two years restoring it, and on March 16, 2013, it was finally completed. A week later, it made its first public appearance in almost 30 years. Tim now travels across the United States and Canada to horror and comic book conventions to share the Green Goblin head from Maximum Overdrive with fans. Wow, that's even better than the uh, uh, Navy SEALs gimmick that we want to do, Joe. Now, unfortunately, again, we can't have two of these giant Green Goblin head tots. Right. I just love the part that in the write-up, the wife tried to run it over with a riding lawnmower. I can only hope. That she claimed it was possessed, much like the machinery in the movie from which the Green Goblin head was from. See, I'm thinking more a Christmas story, and it was an accident, and this Goblin head's like in a major award. Uh, it's just like, you used up all the glue on purpose. That's something, trying to glue back the goblin head. Fantastic. That's something that's said around this house all the time. Anytime that we're out of anything, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, could I have X? It's like, oh, we're out of X. I got to go to the store and pick it up. And then invariably, whoever the other part of that conversation is, myself or my wife, will say, you used up all the glue on purpose, even if we're not talking <laughs> about glue. Right. Well, that's for sniffing. That's the way I look oh. at it. Allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, but really, Todd, the big convention going on this weekend is New York Comic Con. Uh, Keystone Comic Con a few weeks ago was just the precursor, the appetizer, if you will, to the granddaddy of them all of Northeast uh, or East Coast Comic Cons. Now, I could sit here, Todd, and read you the list of folks that are going to be here. And, Todd, there's going to be a lot of people at this convention. Boy, howdy, there is going to be. Boy, howdy, there is. So just a few to name uh, that are going to be there. Uh, for, uh, Dana Gould is going to be there. One of my personal favorites. Uh, he's doing stuff locally at the comedy, uh, the comedy joints, things of that nature. Uh, Chris Parnell is going to be there, who many people would know from Saturday Night Live, but I would know as Dr. Spaceman from 30 Rock. Uh, I know him as from Archer. There you go. Uh, tons of people from the world of comics. Uh, everyone from, uh, Jimmy Pamiani, Amanda Connor. Artin Franco, Brian Azzarello, uh, Bendis, the big guns. Bendis is going to be there. Jason Aaron is going to be there. Jim Lee is going to be there. Uh, Robert Kirkman is going to be there. Todd McFarlane's going to be there. You know what I mean? Like, the big guns are going to be at this convention. But right. mo more importantly, Todd, the, the world of sports and entertainment is coming out in full force for New York Comic Con. Uh, Kabuki Crow is going to be there. Ooh. 
Uh, Jerry the King Lawler is going to be there. Mm. The exonerated one himself. <laughs> right. Trish Stratus, Finn oh. Balor, Sasha Banks, Lita, Bailey, uh, Christian of Edge and, and, uh, your pal Phil from Chicago is going to be there as well. Is he really? Yes. I'm going to have to find out his schedule and maybe get a very special print, a present for someone near and dear to me. Or two of them. Oh, boy. I'm sure whatever day you meet him, he'll be in a delightful mood. Just as a side note, before we get into the plugs for the, you know, the links and all that jazz and Todd's stories of Baltimore this past weekend, uh, as we discussed when Todd went to Keystone Comic Con, he was nice enough to go get my burger towel from Jim Cornette for me, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Todd got him on Friday, which was the day that Todd was there. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad that Todd got him on a Friday. You know, Jim was in a good mood, but you were rolling the dice because Jim was driving in from Kentucky to Pennsylvania because he's not going to go in one of those death tubes and the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. So we talk about it on the show. And then that Thursday, Jim Cornette's podcast comes out. <laughs> hey, Todd, would you imagine that... Jim Cornette had a bad time in Philadelphia? No. Oh, my God. The, the parking lot for the hotel is around the block, and then his truck is too big to fit in the parkade, so he's got to go park in a different lot, and they won't reimburse him for the thing. And the ramp where he was pulling his truck up to load in and out his collectibles all weekend, when he goes there on Sunday to pick them up, they won't let him in, even though he's been there all day Friday, all day Saturday doing it. Oh, Todd, it was like 25 minutes of his podcast was just running down how terrible his weekend was. And during all of it, I was hoping you would have slipped in that he had this beautiful experience. The only thing that made it worthwhile was the young man who came and asked him for a burger towel for his friend. That would have been great. (laughs) This guy really seemed to like me. We could have been friends forever. Oh, and then the whole thing with like where you got to, you know, go hang out with Cornette and watch the match with Cornette. You know, they're they're in one room and then like security from the building ushers everyone to another room. And then they have to be out of the building by a certain time because of union regulations and all this other stuff. And Jim is just going out of his mind. And I'm just like, oh, I only wish that Todd got this Jim Cornette. Oh, I wish. You know what? I wish I did, too, Joe. Then I would have a story for A. Todd's Wrestling. I could come on and talk about it. Yes. Uh, But the links to these uh, conventions, of course, will be in the show notes over at longboxheroes.com. Also, uh, links to the soon-to-be-named network at soon-to-be-namednetwork.com, soon-to-be-namednetwork.tumblr.com, where anytime any of the shows in the soon-to-be-named network come out, uh, you will find them there. A link to them, whether it be this show, whether it be Longbox Heroes After Dark, whether it be Podvocacy, which is going through a revamp here in the next two weeks, and I got the inside track of what it's going to be. I'm very intrigued to see what it's going to be. Uh, also, of course, you've got Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, Fresher in Parlance, a sadly Everlasting Minute is coming to an end because, you know, the Willy Wonka movie is only so long. You can only do so many minutes from it. And as is tradition, let's check to see if there's going to be a new episode of Prodigal Sons podcast this week. I'm waiting. And there is not going to be a new episode of Prodigal Sons Podcast this week. No. I'm broke up, Joe. And also, of course, uh, At Odds with Wrestling every Thursday comes out. Myself and Adam uh, talking about the goings-on, both past, present, and future in the world of sports and entertainment. 
Uh, it is on the docket this week to talk about uh, our kind of histories with our fandom of ECW. Uh, NWA oh. presents Eastern Championship Wrestling, as it was known back then. You would know it better as that garbage bingo hall wrestling. Or as I would, I used to call it, indoor backyard wrestling. Indoor backyard wrestling. <laughs> right. Oh, and that's, oh, and so this is the other thing, just real quick, one last bit of wrestling thing, of course. Uh, so AIW, Rupia Wrestling, as Todd calls it, on uh, no- the first Saturday in November, I'm not sure if it's the third, I think it's the third, they're doing a, like kind of a combination convention and wrestling show, like they're doing their normal AIW event in the evening, and then the afternoon is like a meet and greet with like six or seven different wrestlers, and they've announced like some of the folks that are going to be there, uh, everyone from AIW regular Hornswoggle to uh, Booker T., uh, to Gilberg, uh, <gasps> what? Gilberg? Gilberg, uh, Gen- the genius Lanny Poffo, and most notably, Joel Gertner. I know that guy. Yes. Uh, those are just some of the names that have been announced so far, but yes, uh, I'm, I'm almost certain that the schedule is going to allow me to go out there, and, uh, very few people do I get that Mark photo with, but if I can get the double Mark photo with myself, Joel Gertner, and the genius Lanny Poffo... Uh, that would be a good one. And if you can get Gilberg to take it, that's <laughs> that's the Mark photo for you. Oh, my goodness. So, Todd, you were at Baltimore Comic-Con this past weekend, were you not? Yes, I was. So, how did it go? How was the trip? How was everything? It was, it was good. Uh, me and Josh went. We headed down. Uh, you know, one thing is... I'm not a fan of the three-hour drive to Baltimore, hmm. uh, but like I'm, I'm two hours is max for me. And I don't know if you know this, Joe. Like tra- traveling a whole three hours just really sucks to go somewhere. Um, I know you wouldn't know anything about that, but uh, going so it wasn't that bad. Uh, it wasn't ridiculously hot, so that was nice. Uh, we got there early. Uh, I got my press pass. I was able to get in. A, a little bit early walk the, the the floor i was trying to get sketches but it was really tough this year seemed like everybody that i wanted to get something from booked up really fast or wasn't doing anything so i was i was i was whiffing there um i did get one that i'll mention in in the art attack later uh i had a good time i got to talk to uh to um, I can't think, uh, John Ostrander for a little while. That was really fun talking about like uh, Martian Manhunter and his man, uh, Martian Manhunter and his Manhunter run. Um, and he's an older gentleman, which was I was actually thinking about trying to get an interview with him, but he was really quiet on a loud floor. Like I had to really lean in hmm. to talk to him. But it was interesting, like him talking about how some of his favorite stuff on like Martian Manhunter was like getting to do true sci-fi in his in his idea. He was like some of the ideas that he really liked was that like living in a world like. Like, why would houses in on Mars need doors when you could phase through stuff? And how having a hive mind where people could just read minds, like how uh, reading someone's mind, uh, you know, without permission would be like attacking someone's body without permission. And he and it was just fun to hear him talk about like these these books that I like and I never get to hear anything about because it's always the specter with him, which is fine or Suicide Squad. That got a lot of play, you know, and with the movie. But it was fun to just get a minute. Um I didn't get to talk to him long 
because he, you know, he would, some people were coming. I wanted to try Denny O'Neill, uh, talk to Denny O'Neill for a little bit, but I got boxed out by the, uh, the people signing. Like they have the, they cap the line. And I'm like, oh, like I'm looking, the lady's like, uh, that's actually a great story because they, they were signing and it was for Hero Initiative. So it's for, uh, charity so it's for donations and there's a guy like they're standing there and i see denny o'neill and i'm like oh, i just want to talk to him about the question for a minute but i see that uh you know he's got a line and everything so i go over there and i'm looking and there's this young girl who's like the the volunteer and she's like are you here for a denny o'neill uh signature because we, uh, we capped the line i'm like no 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 i just i've never seen denny o'neill in person so i just want to look i wanted to maybe say hi to him i don't know she's like well we capped the line so he won't be taking any more signatures so there's this guy standing there with a stack of books and in one hand and he's like he's not taking any more and she's like, no. And at this point, I notice he's tapping his pinky in his palm, holding up the books, because between the books and his palm is a roll of hundreds. <laughs> and she's like, I'm really sorry. And she's not getting it. And he's like, are you sure? And he's tapping with the pinky and I'm looking. And there's a guy behind him. He's like, oh, if we have to, we open it up for one person. We have to open it up for everybody. And he's, and he's still tapping, and that's when the other volunteer noticed the hundred dollar bills, and he's kind of like you could hear him just go, oh. and I'm like, I kind of want to see what happens. He ended up getting he ended up getting his book signed, but due to the fact of like bodies around them, I don't know how much he tipped in the jar. If you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I wanted to see if like he, 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 he led with the hundred and then dropped like a 10 in there or something, but it was fun to watch. I was like, Oh boy. Um, I got to, this was the cool part. Somehow, Joe, I ended up manning, uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez's table while he went for uh lunch and to take a break. Oh, okay. I don't know if, did you see that picture? I did. I, I, I replied with a lonely Todd. I don't know if people thought that that was a joke, mm -hmm. but I sat at Jose's table for an hour answering questions of, are you Jose? <laughs> Could you sketch for me? And will you sign this? All were no, no, and no. Um, but he was gone for an hour. He came back and it was interesting because he does a, a lottery. The, the uh, first half hour of the day, every morning, um, because VIPs can get in first to make it fair for everybody. He'll take, uh, tickets and you'll, you know, they have the numbers on them. You write your name on, on the half that you give to him and then they drop them in a, uh, a wastebasket and they pull one out and it's a lottery. So everybody gets a chance and he does two or three sketches a day. So I had explained that a couple of times that he was done sketching for the day. And, uh, what was really nice was, uh, I know the guy who usually helps him and he was going with Jose to eat lunch and everything. So I took Jose's like, Oh, do you want something for this? I'm like, no. So he comes back and uh, while the, the person's talking to me, his name's Fred and he's distracting me. Jose's signing something and I turn around and it's a, it's a Jonah Hex print that Garcia did, that Jose did for the show. He sells a bunch of prints and he hands it to me. He's like, to Todd, thanks. Whatever he wrote on it, I have it here. Um, but I was like, oh, you didn't have to do that. And the guy, 
Fred, who's manning the table, goes, I told Jose that you wanted nothing and you wouldn't take anything. And if you didn't sign to Todd on that print, you wouldn't have taken it. So now you have to. So it was really nice that he ended up giving me like this really nice like Western uh, print that'll probably be like next week's Art Attack. But uh, that was nice of him. And I got some some back issues. I managed just to end up finishing my uh, my uh, supervillain Marvel supervillain team up. I uh, got all of that. Uh, got some uh, random Green Arrow issues that I needed. Just like re- like a, like a Supergirl annual by Peter David, I didn't have for some reason. A JSA issue I didn't have for some reason by Jeff Johns. Um, in the end, it was a, a great show. It wasn't packed because it was a Friday, in which we always say this. Baltimore is still one of my favorite shows, and I I want to go there again. I'd love to do like a show thing, us going because it's a blast, fantastic. Right, and you met one of our listeners there. I saw the pictures. Yes, yes I met two listeners. One who didn't get a, a marked photo. I believe his name was. I I tried to remember. Uh, but my my brain is fried. Is Daniel Clark who lived in our area but moved to Baltimore? So I guess he shopped at our shop for a while. And then he noticed he noticed uh, me or heard me and he was like Todd from Longbox Heroes. I'm like yeah. So we chatted and we were discussing what he was getting and what we were doing there. And I was trying to get sketches and who I was trying to get. And we went our, our separate ways. And then uh, I met Rich Grimmel. I think it yes. is. I don't want to mispronounce his last name. I know it's uh, Rich Grimmel, but I didn't know it was Grimel off the top of my head. Um, old Grimy, as we call him now. Um, so he was there and we got to talk. He was there to meet Aaron Gray from, uh, Buck Rogers slash Silver Spoons fame. And he ended up getting a Mark photo with the ACDC bag on its last con. Uh, so he's the only one who took me up on it. So I'm glad he did. I'm glad uh, he he took you up and got the picture with the bag. With the bag, I wish mm-hmm. he didn't get the picture with you, just the bag, just to kind of big time I, you. I'm like, not, oh, I'm gonna get a picture with the famous bag I've heard so much about. <laughs> right, <laughs> the bag that has comma money in it. Uh-huh. Run with. <laughs> so I'm glad oh, you had a good time at Baltimore. One of these days, I'm gonna get a chance to go back down there. It's just you know the schedule is just too much. Right. You you got to get Asa back there. Yeah, he would love it, especially now. I think he would have a great time. You know, the last time that we took him there, I think he was four. Yes, and my my two favorite stories about Asa during that Baltimore show, one was the lollipop meltdown. Oh, no, he was three. Oh, my goodness. Go ahead. He was going on four. Go ahead. Sorry. It was the lollipop meltdown that took me weeks to get an answer to. Right. Because it hit the ground, and we had to go interview. Was it Mark Wade? I think so. Right, and we left, or maybe it was Gail Simone, I forget. And we had to go interview, so we never, I didn't find out for weeks that they just went back to the table that he got the lollipop and all was, all was fantastic. Right. And then the other thing was that he was looking for blind box somethings. Uh, Mega Man figures. Mega Man figures. And my favorite thing was, at three years old, where you're like, hey little man, like, peep, they don't have any here at this show. And he didn't, he, he, first of all, I don't know if he didn't understand it or he didn't want to listen to you because he asked everybody and their mother if they had Mega Man blind boxes. And it was cute to see, like, not him at, like, oh, like, uh, you know, this big comic stand. He would just go over to Joe Schmo's, like, table who's selling prints that they made of their original comic book. He's like, do you have any Mega Man blind box stuff? And they're like, I'm sorry. 
<laughs> no, 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 I don't. And then he would go over to someone who makes comic book jewelry. And he'd be like, do you have any Mega Man? And I was like, it's going to be a long day for that kid. But he did not give up. I'll give right. him total credit. He was going to find those blind boxes if it killed him. Well, he didn't because we got them for him for his birthday. Right, and that was like you kept him you kept him away from the booth that actually had them. Yeah, you're like because if he goes over and they're like, "Hey, do you have those?" They're like, "Yeah, we have those. We sold them to your father about now." Uh, I would hope that they would be smart enough not to stooge me off, but you never know. They might want to sell more, so they would. <laughs> oh boy! But one of these days we're gonna go to a con like that, whether it be that one or New York or Philly. Just gotta get the schedule. Gotta stop doing stuff, man. Right, it's tough with New York, too, because it's usually around your kid's birthday. Yeah. So. And again, that would be a good, like, birthday thing for him to do, like, do a trip to New York, but alas, you know? Mm-hmm. It is what it is. So, uh, moving along to the uh, digital sales and freebies. And again, of course, these are all in the show notes here as well. Uh, some of the sales going on, some of that were holdovers from last week. Uh, is the uh, Archie half-off sale, the Titan Indie Comics sale, and Dark Horse is having a half-off sale as well. Uh, th- some of those, like those half-off ones, you have to like make sure because you have to put a code in or something with those. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Saga sale that's going on, but I think it's ending as this episode is going live. So just you know, be careful with that one. Uh, some of the new sales that are going on, Marvel is having a sale on their Max imprint books. Uh, they're also having a sale on Venom-related stuff, because there's a Venom movie coming out this weekend. And they're also having a sale on Dr. Octopus stuff, which, of course, if they're having a sale on Dr. Octopus stuff, means that they're having a sale on Superior Spider-Man, one of the greatest comic book stories of the last however many years since that book has come out. Mm-hmm. And the freebies haven't changed. You know, those are still the same ones from last week, and those are all still in the show notes, of course. Uh, just like the link to purchase friend of the show and mega power listener of the show, Jason Sandberg's book, Jupiter, uh, a great anthology book, eight bucks in comicsology, uh, some cool, weird stories about sci-fi stuff, political stuff social commentary sort of stuff. It's a great mix of stuff, kind of like a sampler. If you've never really stuck your toe into the world of real independent comics, that's a really good one, I think, to start with. And it's helping out someone who, like you, is a listener to the show. Mm-hmm. So, that's the plugs. Those are all in the show notes for this episode, longboxheroes.com, soon-to-be-named-network.com. As we mentioned before, Todd, let's get into what we read from this past week. Starting with Heroes in Crisis number one, uh, written by Tom King with art by Clay Mann. Yes, you would like me to start? Sure, you take the lead on this. Okay, this is basically starts out with uh, Harley Quinn, and this isn't a joke, by the way. Booster Gold is sitting in the diner, and Harley Quinn wanders in, and then now we're going to have these like like flashback scenes and cut scenes and stuff like that. But something has happened at the sanctuary. I think that's what they're calling is what they had set up for heroes who have like traumatic events in their life and need to talk it out and have help. And they're basically, this is a murder mystery. Someone has been murdered and, uh, we're, we're seeing the, the players in it through flashbacks and Superman's investigating the scene 
And as it goes on, we get more interaction, which is fantastic between Harley Quinn and Booster Gold, who are two apparently of, of the survivors of what, ha- what has ever happened. And it, it's tough to, to talk about without doing too many spoilers, but I thought this was a very interesting book to start off this giant Heroes in Crisis murder mystery that's going on. But I thought it was, a, other than the Booster uh, Harley stuff, which I thought was amazing to see them interact, um, to them possibly being one of the, who the murder suspect is between the two of them. I don't know. It was weird to see it because I'm, I'm an old, I've been reading comics so long that to see bodies hit the floor means almost nothing to me. So a lot of the, the, the death is, is deaths slash deaths are shown off panel and we're seeing the, the character in flashbacks that are killed and, and, and whatever. So, it doesn't have an impact for me, which I think as the book goes on, that's what's going to happen. But in a world where, like I said, I've been reading comics for 30 years or whatever. Um, I know death isn't permanent. So to see, you know, bodies hit the floor, it just doesn't have an effect to me anymore. If it wasn't Tom King and we have nine more issues to go, a very dry opening, except for the, the Harley Quinn slash Booster Gold stuff, but beautifully drawn by Clayman. Like, between the colors and what he does, like, Clayman stuff is probably the, this is the, my favorite thing that I've seen him do so far. But it's a, it's weird. Like I said, I do feel this is going to be a nine issue story that I have to let play out. Right. So you get enough of the mystery to entice mm-hmm. you. Uh, as you mentioned, Clayman's art is beautiful in this. The main part of this with Booster and Harley interacting is great. We are introduced to a lot of people, and a lot of these are either new characters or characters that we haven't seen in a very long time. Mm-hmm. So the it's not so much of who is dead, but it's more so as to who killed them and why. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I think there's a bigger thing here, of course, because we get a little bit of information about what the sanctuary actually is. And please correct me if I'm wrong. This is the first time that we, as the readers, have ever been informed of what the sanctuary is, at least this, in the DC universe. No, we in a it's been hinted at in a lot of books that when you have mental problems now. Where it is, what it looks like, no. But I know it was in the Flash books when Wally uh, found out that his his uh, his family was alive, but in hyper time somewhere, and they and he cracked. So they're like, take him to the sanctuary. It, Booster Gold is in this because in Batman, when he did that whole time travel thing and saved Bruce's parents, like to see, he cracked at the end of that. They're like, we're taking him to the sanctuary. So it's been mentioned a couple of times in a couple of the characters that are in here, whatever books they were in, mm-hmm. they've mentioned the sanctuary and hinted at it that it's a place for healing broken people. Right. Okay. So maybe that, uh, so that's, it's been discussed, but we've never actually seen what it is, how it works. Oh. Right, okay, my mistake, I wasn't sure what you were asking. Right, no, 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 because I remember it from the booster thing, I remember it from the Wally thing, but, like, this is the first time that we're seeing what it is, what it looks like, who was there, and I guess there's, like, Kryptonian stuff that's involved with it, 
There's, of <laughs> course, Batman stuff that's involved with it. There's Wonder Woman stuff involved with it. Of course, it's a DC story. So the big three are involved with it. But you've got all these kind of different mysteries going on, like what the Sanctuary really is and what it was set up as, who the real killer is, and also who, like, who else is dead. Right. Because we only see the people that are there. Who's to and, say there isn't more? Who's to say that right. this isn't the only sanctuary? You know, is it one centralized location or is it a network of locations? Like, we're going to learn about what this is as that unravels, then the mystery of who the killer is and why is also going to unravel. Right. And also, it looks like some of the people who work there were murdered. You know what I mean? Right. So and then that has to do with like we see the people who work there and they look like they're wearing robes, wearing the Medusa mask, which was a big part of one of the uh, uh, psycho pirate in the Tom King story uh, in the Batman, where he even used like that a little bit to help Gotham Girl. So I'm like, does is that over here? Is that what this is that these people are, you know, acolytes of the psycho? I don't know. I'm very interesting, but. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, am I, and I think maybe that was why Tom King did it this way, is my shock on seeing dead characters is way played out, unless it's done superbly well. So I I hope that there's more to this than just the shock of bodies, if you know what I mean. Like, well, I'm and you way past that. You mentioned Psycho Pirate, of course, and there's no overt mention of Psycho Pirate or direct mention of Psycho Pirate in this issue, but on the main cover... Um, you know, whoever's in the middle, I forget if it's Superman or Batman is Superman. in the middle, and it looks like they're holding the Psycho Pirate mask. Right, and then there's a bunch of the people who work in the robes in the background, they look like they're wearing facsimiles of the Psycho Pirate's mask, or they're actually, you know what I mean? I don't know. Like, I want to find out more. I agree. It was good. It was. Um, it I'm was not an interesting start. Yes, I agree. Uh, so, interesting start. Let's talk about one of the other big DC books that are going on right now, uh, which is Doomsday Clock, number seven. Mm-hmm. So, this is going to be brief. Um, I'm already more than halfway in. I want to see where this all ends up and what the overall impact of this is going to be. Right. But the two months in between issues is killing the momentum of this book. Right, and I, I agree. Um, so in this issue, we kind of get a little bit of the revelation of what Ozymandias' plot is, who he's been lying to, who he's been telling what truths to, to get the pieces on the board to a certain spot. And now that he has those pieces to the spot, we get our first full appearance, and I mean full, uh, no, uh, <laughs> controversy about Dr. Manhattan's, uh, state of undress in this like there was a couple weeks ago in Batman Damned. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's still more cryptic stuff from Dr. Manhattan. It's more cryptic stuff in regards to anyone else other than Batman. And it seems as though like Lex Luthor was in this book and then he's not around no more. The Joker's here, but he's like fifth fiddle villain. Right. You know, Batman's here, but he sends, spends most of the issue tied to a chair. <laughs> and I guess the majority of this is supposed to be about the Watchmen characters and Superman. But Superman, I think, has been in two of the seven issues. And 
if we go by actual page count, I think we're at less than five. I agree. And I think this whole thing where this book takes place, at, and I do pl- believe it has caused chaos that we don't even see because the, this book is, you know, two months between issues. And you know how this, it has been said that this place takes bo- place in, you know, a near future of the DC universe where all the books that we're reading regularly, monthly, are supposed to lead into this. And because this book is late, they had to put all the breaks on their storylines in their everyday books. Yeah. Because when we get to the end of this book, all the books that are doing are supposed to lead up to the beginning of Doomsday Clock, if that makes any sense. I don't know if I put that right. You know right. what I mean? And this, it's in the- and this was a, and again, I, I wish I could find the original article. This was originally published or pitched as a four issue miniseries. Mm-hmm. Then it was extended to a, a, a 12 issue miniseries that was supposed to be done in November. It was supposed to run November to November. And here we are in September. Like if the schedule persists, issue eight will be out in November. Right. The the only thing that I would really like to talk about is uh just really quick without too many spoilers is the the Bubastis story, right? The the cat and how they bring the cat back. I'm wondering if just between me and you, because certain revelations happen with Rorschach in this episode in this issue, yes, is if the same way they brought Bubastis back is the way they're going to bring the original Rorschach back. Okay. Because he destroys the cat when they're going through that thing. Right. The same way. And Manhattan killed Rorschach by blowing him up. And I'm wondering if, like, he, they, they have all the notes and everything about how they brought Bubastis back. And I'm like, I wonder if they're going to be like, if they use the same idea to that, uh, that he clones a whole, I don't know. There's just something I'm reading it going. They're setting up way too much as how they brought one thing back. Seems to me laying the ground to seem how they can bring another one back. I don't know. That's just my, my, uh, my, uh, my, my pitch for that. That's not. And again, I don't want to say that's a great idea uh, Mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of publishing, but you saying that makes me think that I could absolutely see this whole doomsday clock thing just being a way to bring the original Rorschach into the current DC universe. Because that's the character everybody really wants. Yeah. You know? So. I don't know. I'd like if I had to pick one to be in the... Well, I wouldn't want him to be in the DC universe. Like... I'd like the comedian around. I think he's a little bit more complex and nuanced of a character. Right. I think, and I'm actually surprised we have seen zero Silk Spectre slash Owl Man. Well, they mention them uh, here that uh, I guess Ozymandias tried to find them or tried to, you know, get them involved, and either he couldn't find them or they just turned them down outright. Right. There was a fleeting mention of them in this issue, but that was really the first time they were even brought up. Right, I think maybe they will show up. Other than the fact that aren't they flying around in one of his owl ships? I thought that was... Rorschach stole that. Right, but that's what I'm saying. Like, Rorschach stole that, it was one of the owl ships. Yes, that's what it... Yes. Yeah, yeah. So those are, like, your only references to Silk Spectre and uh, Night Owl. Right, I said uh, Owl Man, which is from the Syndicate. uh, My mistake. Six of one, half a dozen of the other. You knew what I was talking about, Joe. The Night Owls doesn't. Mm-hmm. 
See, we can spend five minutes on that, but we're not going to. Let's get into what we're <laughs> looking forward to coming out this week. Yes. You listen After Dark. That makes sense. Total sense. Uh, so every two, every Tuesday around 5.30 Eastern Time or so, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week, whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home. However it is that you get your books, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out. The two things that Todd and I are doing with our books this year, one is what we always do, which is attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this this week. Uh, I have a lead over Todd of six correct guesses, and I'm going to keep that lead until the end of the year since the year is like three-fourths over. The other is a running dollar tally of how much we've spent on comic books, and I could certainly see us not doing that in 2019. Ever again. Right, or ever again. So... Uh, Todd, you started the show, so uh, have at it. I'm looking over your books, and is the book you're looking forward to most Superior uh, Superior Octopus number one? Uh, yes, it is. The book I'm most looking forward to coming out is most certainly Superior Octopus number one. Yay! Uh, this was just a one-off, as I thought it would be uh, previously. But then when I saw that they were going to be doing a return of Otto as the Superior Spider-Man, I thought to myself, well, this is going to be the litmus test, the dry run, if you will, to see if I'll be picking up the main book. And uh, I'm a sucker for Otto as Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. So you, Todd, looking at your books, I think the book that you were most looking forward to coming out this week is Lone Ranger number one. It is Lone Ranger number one. There you go. Uh, that's from Dynamite? Yes, it is. And who is the creative team on that? I don't know off the top of my head. There Sorry. There you go. I'm getting it because I just want to read The Lone Ranger. Right. I was discussing this with someone earlier today, and they mm-hmm. they guessed my book, of course. And then when they, uh, they're like, it's so tough to figure out what Todd's up to. I go, my money is on Lone Ranger number one. Here we are. Lone Ranger number one. Uh, trying to look up information on it right now. I'm looking for it too, but I couldn't find it. I used to be much more familiar with the uh, the Dynamite website. Not so much, no more. There we go. Uh, written by Mark Russell. Yes. Uh, with uh, art by Bob Q and covers by uh, a host of folks, including John Cassaday, etc., etc. Um, Mark Russell, very interesting to see how this is going to go. He has done, uh, most recently, he did Prez at DC, and he did mm-hmm. that Flintstones book at DC that got a lot of critical acclaim. Right, so I'm really hoping that it's, that it's good. So. Mm-hmm. Certainly going to be very interesting. I look forward to hearing uh, it discussed on the show this week. Yes. Or next I hope week, he's or whenever fi- it is that I we hope- do the show. I don't know. Yes, I, I hope he's fighting werewolves. How come they've never done Lone Ranger versus werewolves because he carries silver bullets? I think the word in the werewolf community has gotten out. <laughs> yes. Right. Mm-hmm. A lot of loose lips in the werewolf community, Todd. Uh, I don't know. So while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out everything that Todd and I have ever done in comic books. And, of course, at odds with wrestling as well, because I'm not purchasing a separate URL for it. Uh, Whether it be past pull posts, past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, 
the smash hit sensation of 2017, Todd and Joe Have Issues. Check it all out over at longboxheroes.com. And, of course, you could purchase stickers, pins, shirts with our fancy logo on it, uh, made by DC Comics artist extraordinaire Tom Derinick. Be the envy of your neighborhood with the Longbox Heroes shirt, sticker, and pin combination. Uh, get the highest recommendation from everyone who purchases them. But if you've already got them, or you don't want them, or whatever it is, anything else in the world that you want, you could purchase through our Amazon click-through, which is across the top of the page. does not cost you anything extra, but it does give us a couple cents in the back end as an advertising fee from Amazon. Some of the notable purchases through the Amazon link this past week, Todd. Is someone mm-hmm. purchased Star Trek vs. Transformers, number one. Ooh. That's a comic book from IDW about the original cast of Star Trek doing something with Transformers. I'm not really sure. Transforming them. Transforming them in some way. I just hope there's a lot of Mr. Sulu sound wave interactions. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, someone also purchased the first trade of uh, Gail Simone and Walter Giovanni's Red Sonia from Dynamite. Uh, that's a very good purchase there. And I want to read the full description for this item, Todd, as I, I as I like to do sometimes with these Amazon descriptions. This is a Tiding Men's Black Genuine Leather Large Capacity Waste Bag Organizer for Travel Running. Ooh. Or a Fanny Pack. Oh, I was hoping it was a colostomy bag because no. it was a waste bag. Well, again, uh, six of one, it's it's a different waste. <laughs> right. Uh, but thank you, everyone, for the uh, purchases uh, through the Amazon click-through. And just to follow up, kind of dipping into the mailbag a little bit and to follow up on a previous mention on the show, uh, Stiff Peg Pete was the one who confessed to the purchase of the Angry Mama uh, microwave cleaners. Mm-hmm. I needed to know what the purpose of these things were, uh, how they worked, and so forth. And he gave me a great review of how those work. And he also linked me to the uh, two-minute infomercial video on YouTube, of course, that is the exact way that every infomercial starts in black and white with people doing things poorly. And now here's the <laughs> easy way to do them with our item that we're selling. That's right. Cleaning the inside of a microwave with a hammer, right. and that's not working. So There's got use... to be an easier way. Mm. <laughs> uh, the only thing that the uh, infomercial was missing was a voiceover by Gilbert Gottfried himself. Oh, no. <laughs> if only I had an easier way to put my socks on, uh-huh. Joe. Hang on. I, I, I want to do the Gilbert Gottfried Shudini commercial so bad, but I don't <laughs> want to blow my voice out. Just pretend that I say you can with the Shudini, and it sounds just like Gilbert Gottfried. Theater mm. of the mind, everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, wasn't he the guy who wrote uh, Batman the Animated Series, Paul Shudini? Paul Shudini? No, I don't think so. Yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, uh, Todd, we have uh, – dis- well, oh, uh, was there anything in the Art Attack this week, Todd? Yes, we had a bunch of art attacks in the art attack this week from the man who got the marked photo with my ACDC bag, Rich Grimmel, had uh, two pieces from Baltimore Comic-Con from Ramona Freden. Um, he got a Superman busting, the ch- doing the chain chest bust, which is a classic Superman pose, and he also got a head sketch slash bust of the DC Captain Marvel, a.k.a. Shazam. You have to be careful how you describe that because there's whole lawsuits over, you know, who can say what about 
Captain Marvel. Um, also, mega contributor Euronymous um, got a My Little Pony demon. I'm not sure how that. There's like at Dragon Con. There's this uh, people who do like a mashup of My Little Pony slash like creepy stuff, and it was Heather Kruger. So he has a pony like with tentacles and like a seahorse thingy, which is very cool slash creepy because tentacles are always icky, as in my opinion. Also from Movie Revolt, um, someone from uh called the Create Forge picked up a Greg Capullo print for move the this the Twitter handle is movie uh revolt and it looks like a devil coming out of a river of blood. I'm not sure but that is very creepy and fantastic. Um T-Bolt 712 had a page from the, with the Venom movie coming out this weekend, had a page from the greatest Venom story ever told as far as I'm concerned, Sign of the Boss by, uh, some guy who I maybe know named Tom Durenick and will be at New York Comic Con, uh, this weekend at a table. I don't have the number in front of me right now, but I, is it C29 maybe? I was just at his page, so hopefully it's C29. I don't know. And, he, needs, uh, he needs to have a better internet presence where everyone for the week of whatever convention they're going at changes their like Twitter handle 104 good buddy to whatever table or section they're going to be in at whatever convention they're going to that weekend. He has his at T Durenic New York Comic Con 2018 Artist Alley table C29. Oh, he does. Look at Tom. He's on top of it, man. He's on the ball. He is, he is. But that's a beautiful page. Um, I've seen better stuff there. There's a, there's a, there's something with a much handsomer person on Sign of the Boss that you have to go find. And, uh. No thank also, you. No thank you. <laughs> and also, um, I got a Blue Beetle, uh, sketch by Paris Collins in my, uh, sketchbook. He was the guy who did the Blue Beetle, the 24 issue Blue Beetle series before he joined Justice League International. Oh, that was okay. Right- uh, from back in like, uh, yeah, yeah, like the mid 80s. Sure, sure. Yeah, that was what they did with Blue Beetle after he was out of, cause he appeared in Crisis on Infinite Earths. And then that was, they just had the, the Charlton characters. And they were like, oh, we give him a, I forget who was writing it at the time. And there was also the Dan Jurgens book going on with Booster Gold at the time. And then they ended up in uh, Justice League International. Cool. So, and I and I really like that piece. He's got his air, air gun slash strobe light gun in his hand, which a lot of people forget about because it was, it was used once in the Justice League International run. And it was by Oberon to blind the, the shrinking people that attacked the embassy. I remember that. Yeah, I know my stuff. Yes, yes. So, uh, a hefty grouping of art attacks, and thanks everyone for contributing to all of this, of course. And I guess just one last bit here before we wrap up, because we got no TV talk, we got no movie talk, or nothing like that. Um, reminder about the NFL pickums. Yes. That's all. Yep, I'm gonna have to remember to do that while I'm on the road. I'll have to tweet that out while I'm on the road Thursday right. or at the con. You should do a scheduled tweet for yourself. How do you do that? I don't know. I hear people oh. talk about doing it. That's listen. You're the technical wizard of the show, not me. I am the technomancer of this show. So t- technomancing the stone—that's mm-hmm. what I do. 
So what was I going to say? I forgot there was something else. Where is I? Oh, I actually did my, well, you'll hear them at the end of the show, but I actually did the picks after my kid recorded them. So I wouldn't forget to do them. I almost forgot to do them last week. Oh, that would have been terrible. Yeah. He recorded them and then I I didn't even put them in there. And, uh, I, I, like I said, I will be at the New York Comic Con this weekend. I'll be at table C29, I think it was, with Tom off and on. And I may even have pins and or stickers on me. Ooh, so. nice. And, uh, and unveiling the new bag at, 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 uh, New York Comic Con. If anyone goes to New York Comic Con and runs into Todd and they see him with the new bag, tell them that they like the old bag better. Uh, probably misses his old bag. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, we're currently tied. We're both in that middle section of 30th place, but you're a few spots higher on the list than me, like three. Right. But that's because I got the, the numbers right. Mm-hmm. Or closer. I don't know how that's determined. I don't know how it works either, but I'm happy. That means I am technically better than you right now. Well, better than my kid. <sighs> I'm going to say better than you, Joe. Mm-hmm. There's no way I'm better than your kid. Right. That's true. All right, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to episode 418 of Longbox Heroes. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, for Todd, this is Joe saying we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Football picks, week five. Week five. There's only 11 more weeks to go. You don't have to do the playoffs or the soup or bowl or anything like that. I don't know what that was. But we got seven right last week. That's pretty good. So do I have to read them or can I just... I could just do this. Okay. Uh, Patriots. Patriots beating the Colts. Jets. Oh, Jets... Where do you see the Jets? Oh, Jets beating the Broncos. Okay. Packers. Packers beating the Lions. Giants. Giants, sure. Titans. Steelers. Browns. No, not Browns. Uh, Ravens. Dolphins. Look at you. Jaguars. Chargers. Chargers. Hang on. Uh, it's thinking. Baby. Where were we? Right here. Eagles. Of course. Rams. 49ers. Texans. Redskins. You read them all, man. I don't even have to read them to him anymore. And now he's putting stuff on. Thanks, Asa.